Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Taking Care of Business podcast. I'm Renee, and I'm the producer for the podcast. And today we have on Lindsay Thompson. Uh, She is an associate editor with NHPA, and she's going to let us listen in on one of her conversations with a retailer um, that just has a really cool story. So today, Lindsay is interviewing Jean Pedrotti of Pedrotti's Ace in Venetia, California. Um, But before we slide over to that conversation, I just wanted to have Lindsay on um, and just ask her, how did you connect with Jean? Tell us a little bit about how this introduction happened. Hey, thanks, Renee. Thanks for having me on the podcast today. So Jean actually reached out to us. Jean is a prolific writer in his area and does a lot of writing for a local magazine. Um, He does some writing for some newspapers. And so he reached out to us with a couple uh, great story ideas. And it also happens to be the company's 100th anniversary this year. And so it's got a really cool story. Awesome. So can you maybe give us a couple teasers on what people can look forward to listening to in this conversation today after we hop off? Absolutely. So Pujati Ace has a really um, deep family history in the area. Um, Gene, as well as his dad and his uncle, all have a golden hammer, which oh, cool. celebrates 50 years in the business, which is really cool. Um, and he's just really involved in his community. You can just tell from our um, conversation that he loves his community and his community loves him. And so we talk a lot about that. And then we also dive into his 100th, the store's 100th anniversary this year. They're they're going big. They're, it'll be over 4th of July weekend. And Gene has hired a drone company to do a drone show. He's connected with the, um, the city of Venetia. Um, to do a whole a whole weekend of celebration. So, so cool. it sounds like it's going to be amazing. So where is Benicia? It's in the Bay Area. So just oh, a, um, about 20, I want to say about 20 miles northeast of San Francisco. Great. And then you'll be going out there for that, right? I will be. I'm really excited. So I'm going to go out and visit the store uh, the Thursday before the big celebration. He's The store's giving away 500 apple pies. Wow. So I will be in the store for that and hopefully maybe get a taste myself. Yes, I love that. Well, everyone needs to make sure to tune in. Um, Will you be posting probably on social media after the fact so people can kind of see all your travels? Absolutely. Yep. I'll be posting on social media and we'll also be doing um, a great profile story on Pajati Ace for the magazine. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And um, everyone just stay tuned. Uh, We're going to have a word from our sponsors. And then next up, Lindsay will uh, let you listen in on her conversation with Jean. Nearly 200 retailers have asked us to notify them when other retailers decide to sell their businesses. If you're considering options for exiting your business, NHPA's Retail Marketplace can help you find motivated buyers in the industry. Or maybe you are on the other end of the spectrum and you're looking for new opportunities to grow. Sign up for notifications to be among the first to know when retailers decide to sell. Learn more at yournhpa.org marketplace. Jean, thank you so much for joining me today and talking about your business and about your community. I'm really excited to um, get to talk to you today. Uh, Jean Pedrotti is a third generation hardware store owner of Pedrotti Ace Hardware, which originally was established in Crockett, California, and is currently located in Benicia, California. Um, Along with a small business owner, being a small business owner, Jean is a writer and a huge advocate for his local community. 
Uh, Jean, I guess let's just start. Walk me through your family tree and how your family's been involved in the hardware industry uh, since you're third generation. Where did it all start? Well, it started back in the period of immigration from Switzerland in the Swiss uh, Italian region. Uh, my ancestors had come over, great uncles uh, and great grandfather had immigrated as dairymen. They were all teenagers uh, at the time. You know, it, it was very poor country to be in farming at that time. Huge immigration effort. And it was just after the discovery of gold. And so consequently, there's a huge demand for resources in the San Francisco area. San Francisco was the gold mine. It really wasn't in the hills, the foothills of California or in Nevada, the silver mines. It was San Francisco it was a, just a hotbed of money. Uh, and there was huge demand for product. And so they came over to become dairymen. And they were just north of San Francisco in Marin County in an area of, uh, called Bolinas, uh, that area was where the great great quake of 06 hit, and they were there when the earthquake hit. Um, and so that's really where they settled. Uh, at one point, my uh, uh, grandfather started a small mercantile operation. Uh, it lasted two years, and then they closed it to go to World War One. Uh, and then eventually, he his family immigrated uh, towards the town of Crockett. Uh, he was still a young man at the time, and a local semi-retired businessman backed him to to start a, a small hardware store in the in the town of Crockett. Kind of walk us through what's what's happened since that first opening at Crockett. Maybe just a brief um, a history lesson of Pajati Ace. So it started in 1922. And it was predominantly a, 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 it's a very small operation. The original storefront, and the, mind you, these are like settlement town storefronts back in that day. And the storefront then, I don't think was even a thousand square foot. No, it was probably mm -hmm. 500 square foot or less. Mm -hmm. uh, the store, they stayed, they were there for about 12 years um, and moved up the street three doors to where they operated for well over 60 years. Uh, that storefront was a total of 850 square foot. And the reason I know that is we just measured it recently. I was so fascinated. You know, as a little kid, you walk around, it's a huge operation. They did have the two basements underneath it in the next store next door. But, you know, as a child, you're small. Things look so big. And to go back there now and just stand there, it's like I can't believe that they – and I'm speaking of my my father, my uncle, you know, my grandfather. I can't believe that they raised families on these really small operations, but but they did. Mm -hmm. You know, they got by, mm -hmm. and that's it's an incredible foundation. Yeah. So, what was it like growing up in the hardware store? What are some of your earliest memories of, of being in the store? Well, the town of Crockett itself is a town of about 3,500 people. It was predominantly a, it's on the waterfront and it is, has a huge industrial base by way of a local sugar refinery called CNH Sugar or California and Hawaiian Sugar. It's the, it was the biggest cane sugar operation uh, in the country at the time and it was the biggest employer. Consequently, the entire town was sort of a labor-oriented town, blue-collar, you know, not, not affluent by any means. I mean, most people struggled, uh, and mm -hmm. the hardware store fit right into that because the har hardware business is about repairing and saving and salvaging, and that's pretty much what we did. Um, and so, 
you know, it was, it was a, it was an incredible experience of being a very small town. People helped out, people helped each other out. Uh, everybody knows each other. You really couldn't get away with, you couldn't get into trouble. I mean, as boys, we tried, but you'd get busted so easily. Yeah. I'll tell you one time, uh, uh, I have a twin brother, identical twin brother, and I think we're about nine or 10 years old. Uh, and at school that day, one of the classmates, Jimmy Serpa, had shared with me this sort of uh, very edgy uh, poem and a ditty, I would call it. And I came, we came to work that day. Dean was there. And I said, hey, Dean, come here. And it had to do with an operator. So I picked up the phone. And in those days, you pick up a phone. It was the operator assisted. Now, mm-hmm. Crockett was the last second to the last town in California that moved to dial where you actually dial on the on the phone. But back then it was operator assisted. So when you pick up the phone, you would hear the operator. And so I started to rail off this ditty. Operator, give me number nine. And if you disconnect, I'll kick your big behind the refrigerator. There is a piece of glass. And if you sit on it, you'll cut your big fat. Ask me no more questions. Tell me no more lies. This is a story of Jimmy and his steamboat and how they live their lives. So hung up the phone and... You know, we're nine years old, giggling like heck, and we walk back mm-hmm. into the store. Not even a minute went by, and the phone rings. My dad picks it up. You know, it's a regular customer. And mm-hmm. I remember this vividly because he was leaning on this file cabinet with his phone in his ear. And he's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And he looked down the aisle where Dean and I were standing, and he just <laughs> yells at us, get over here. And then we <laughs> walked up to, the, to him in the file cabinet in his office, and he pointed the phone at us and said, now you can apologize. And he handed us the mm-hmm. phone, and it was the operator on the other end. <laughs> and you know, oh, she must man. have just been just laughing her, her head off. But anyway, sure, we had to apologize, sure. and that's the small town, small town experience. You can't get oh. into trouble no matter how hard you try. Right. That's so fun. Uh, did you, growing up, did you always want to stay in hardware? Did you ever have any aspirations to, to go outside of the hardware store? I've always enjoyed hardware because of its nature of neighborliness. And it, they're, they're focal points in the community for social activity. People just gather. They're just nor, natural gathering places. And, you know, mm-hmm. customers would come and go all the time. They're always friendly. Everybody's got a story, telling a story. Uh, you're in the business of helping people. It's just such a warm uh conducive environment so friendly that I've always enjoyed it I've always always been drawn to the hardware business so it's not a surprise mm-hmm. at all I think I've always mm-hmm. uh, was gravitating towards towards doing this mm-hmm. yeah um, what's your favorite part about being in the hardware industry well I think you have to look at the nature of the people that work in it and just the, mm-hmm. the circumstances itself hardware is about helpful and if I had to, if I had to come up with another word that was not helpful, it would be kindness, because mm-hmm. that's what hardware is all about. You know, you're in the business of helping every, helping people every day, and there's this sort of positive feedback loop that's constantly playing, you know, in the trade. Where, where as employees and, and workers, we're helping people and, and we're get, bailing them out of problems and finding solutions, but at the same time, they're very, very grateful. You know, the thank yous, the smiles, it's such an incredible feedback loop that is so warm and receiving that it just, it's a, just a pleasant place to, to work in. Mm-hmm. 
And I, and I think mm-hmm. probably my colleagues would agree. I mean, we've all been to conventions, right? If you go to a hardware convention, they're just a huge social gathering. Um, and yet you can sit at a table of strangers and when you're done, you know, with the presentation or a meal, you've made a bunch of friends because it's just such a great, great group of people. Yeah, I've I've only been in the industry now for just over a year and I've been to just a handful of markets, but they've been so yeah, they've been so great just to have that camaraderie and when I, you know, return to the same market, you know, you're seeing the same people. It's it's like seeing seeing old friends. It's it's yeah. it is fantastic. So. It's almost like an extended family. I think if I got mm-hmm. stranded anywhere in the country, I would just walk up to the closest hardware store, knock on the door and say, hey, I need some help. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, great. So, you know, your passion for the hardware industry and for your community has bled over into you've you've been doing some writing. Can you tell us a little bit about, about who you're writing for and what you're writing about and how you kind of how you got into got into that well, gig? Well, this year is a big, big year for us. It's our centennial. We're celebrating mm-hmm. our 100th anniversary. Um, and a couple of years ago, a local magazine approached us to do a story on it. Uh, and uh, in speaking with the editor, the editor came to the house. They did some photography and we're here for quite a while. And during that time, we just talked shop. And uh, well into it, the editor finally turned to me and said, Gene, you have so many interesting stories. Would you mind writing for us? Now, we're in the middle of COVID, right? My my normal work week has always been a 60-hour work week. It's a dairyman's ethic. It's this family I come from. Um, but COVID pushed that well over 70. I was just, all of us, I think, in the trade are going nuts when COVID started. Uh, and I had no free time. And I dismissed it at first, told her no. Uh, but then thought, you know, this would be such a great opportunity to dialogue with the community, you know, to share not just these stories, but perspectives and sort of set the framework for, you know, how meaningful this is. You know, here we are, a hundred year old business. We're a small business in America. You know, we survived, you know, depressions and recessions and wars and now a big pandemic. We're still around. You know, there's a lot to celebrate, not just for us. Us, but I think for small business in general, and certainly for hard, mm-hmm. for the hardware trade. And so mm-hmm. I, I said, sure, I'll do it. And so I started writing for them and uh, have been really enjoying it. It's been a great experience. Good, good. So you mentioned it is a big year for you, for you and your company. Tell us about your big centennial celebration coming up. So I think... I've been thinking about this since January 1, 1980, which is the, when I came on full time. Now, that's okay. 10 years into you know working there in summers and after school, whatnot. But uh, from the day I stepped in, I knew that this day would be coming. We would I would take this. My commitment would be to take it to 100. Uh, I turned 65 uh, uh, a month later after our big mm-hmm. event. Um, but I'm not retiring. <laughs> but, you know. I knew this day would be coming. And so I've always been hunting in the, on the back of my mind, you know, what can we do? Well, right before COVID started in December of 2019, I watched a video of a small town in Southern California called Solvang. It's got a very mm-hmm. big uh, Swedish background. Um, and they had this performance, which was called a drone light show. And it was okay. uh, uh tied to music. It was an incredible show. 
And I thought, that's it. That's exactly what I'm going to do. And so that's exactly what we are going to do uh, on the July 4th weekend this year. We've teamed up with the city and my company will be funding a massive light show over the San Francisco Bay at Benicia uh, where we're going to just put an incredible performance on for the community as a way of saying thank you. Thank you for 100 years. Wow, that sounds really cool. So why why did you pick the 4th of July weekend to celebrate? Well, this this worked out great. The company started in June of 1922. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I approached the city of Benicia with this proposal, they said, you know, rather than do this in June, because there's a lot going on, you have Father's Day, you have graduations, etc. They were more inclined to push it to the July 4th weekend. And primarily because uh, on July 3rd of every year, they have a torchlight parade. So this is in, in advance of July 4th. It's this biggest event of the of the year. And generally, following the parade, people go home and then they return on July 4th for fireworks. And they said, hey, this is a natural. Let's just keep people right at, right at the waterfront, you know, and we'll just ha- have your have your drone light show uh, celebration. And so that's that's pretty much what we uh, worked out. And, and it's coming in addition, the city's now doing a powerhouse weekend where they're putting music and bands on stage on the weekend. We're also supplying music before our show, uh, a mm-hmm. local band. And so it's going to be a massive event on the water and, and really looking forward to it. Yeah, it sounds amazing. And and not that a drone light show isn't enough, but are you planning any other um, activities to celebrate your centennial? So um, I think, uh, yes, right now, and it looks like on Thursday, June 30th, uh, as part of this event and part of the uh, Independence Day weekend, we are going to give away apple pies. So we, hmm. we sell a locally made uh, from the valley, a whole line of, of frozen pies. And so in advance of the weekend that everybody can have their apple pie for uh, 4th of July, we are going to be handing out 500 free apple pies to lots of people in the community. Yeah, that sounds, that's delicious. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> that's great. Very cool. So you have such a heart for your community and that really just comes out in just talking to you now and, and I've read you know some of your writings and what is what does the community mean to you? How have they supported you all these years, all these years? And um, why is it important for you to give back to your community and support your community? Um, I think that really comes from the roots of growing up in a small town where people help each other constantly. You know, we're in a small town where there's a, a, a greater need. It's like I mentioned, it's not affluent and the you know, needs arise and the community is always there helping and supporting each other. And I grew up with that. Uh, my family has always been, you know, as helpful as they can be. Um, and it just, it just felt natural for us. Um, as uh, I grew up with four brothers. My twin brother became a paramedic for the city of Phoenix uh, Fire Department. He just retired. And watching him and uh, you know discuss what he's seen in the street, the volunteer work that he has done, the, the work that he continues to do, there is such a tremendous need uh, for us to be involved in our community that I just felt you know I needed to step up. I've been very, very fortunate mm-hmm. to have run a very successful business. Uh, and and it just seemed appropriate to give back to the community. And so, it, you know, it's just been, a, a, you know, a, a, 
a real part of my life to be able to give back and, and to do that mm -hmm. regularly. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of those local or uh, specific local organizations that you support or what kind of um, ways do you do, do you support the community? Well, this kind of started back when Ace Hardware created the Ace Foundation. So back in 1991, uh, they started raising funds for various uh, groups, predominantly the Red Cross and then also the Children's Miracle Network. Um, they've raised a ton of money over the years. I think it's well over $150 million since it started. I think last year alone, it was around $20 million. Um, and it felt good to be part of that right from the get-go, you know, that we would mm -hmm. make these contributions uh, and get involved. But as I saw the need in the community, you know, there's sort of needs at various levels. There's like the immediate need within your community, within your region. Um, there's certainly national needs. That's what sort of the ACE Foundation is about. Uh, and mm -hmm. then there's also worldwide needs. And at some point I decided I wanted to do more and get involved in those various areas. So I, I uh, uh, helped, we created a charitable trust and have been using mm -hmm. that vehicle over the years to reach out into those three categories, kind of local, regional and worldwide and, you know, make contributions and just get involved, you know, when I can. Uh, sometimes this is, you know, completely unrequested. Uh, you just mm -hmm. reach out, find a need. And, and sometimes just blow people over. They didn't know it was coming. Uh, and, and I kind of like that. You know, there's sort of a, yeah. a satisfaction in that surprise element of, you know, of uh, just laying something on somebody's lap. And, and I, I like doing that. It's just kind of cool. Yeah. What a, what a blessing. What a blessing. So, Gene, what, what is your secret to success uh, for 100 years in business? I think in terms of relating to the community, and this is more important than ever before, especially through the pandemic, and that is local is important. You know, mm -hmm. being a local business, you know, providing leadership as a local business, you know, being involved in the community is critically, critically important. We're becoming such an impersonal society, you know, as, as shopping, as our interactions become driven to, you know, offsite, online, whatever, we sort of lose our sense of identity and that, you know, being local is really, really important. Local matters. Um, mm -hmm. And I think our success is always, is always, is, has never drifted far from that. You know, mm -hmm. from early days, you know, the when you're in a small community, these are all your friends, they're your colleagues, they're your mm -hmm. classmates, you know, these people that shop with you every day, they're really extended family. And, and, and I think a lot of us in the trade believe that you should treat your customers as family members. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what I tell my staff all uh, frequently through my career is, you know, treat them as a family member. Um, and when you do that, you create these tighter bonds and relationships with people. And that matters. That That's very, very important. Uh, right now we have, uh, you know, surveys that uh, uh, customers can fill out. Uh, and, you know, it's a stream of, of surveys. And I generally spend Sunday mornings reading any comment that a customer will make and then reach out to them and thank them. And it's mm -hmm. hundreds of these. I mean, there, but it's a mission of mine to maintain that face. You know, we are the face of our community, of our business. And, and we, you know, to maintain that, to let remind people how we appreciate their business and we're part of the community. And when we can, we get their back. Okay. okay. How do your employees um, help you, you know, connect with your community, 
Um, and what kind of things do you look for when you're hiring um, a new employee? You know, family is so important to you. Are, are your employees an extension of your own family? We, we, we try to. I know they're very, very tight and close with each other. I, I think a good example is the very first employee I uh, I hired, you know, when I moved to Benicia. Now, at some point, we we're in a small town of Crockett, and we could not survive there. You know, a town of 3,500, it's just impossible, and we had mm-hmm. to make a move, and so we jumped across the river uh, to a slightly larger community, took over an existing store. Uh, the very first person I hired there was the sole employee of the owner, uh, and we hired her. Margaret uh, is has been a phenomenal uh, person. Um, she mm-hmm. is so outgoing and willing to help people, and she's been that way from day one. She's always our, been our go-to person. Like, if, if there's a saint of hardware for us, Margaret <laughs> is the saint of hardware. Mm-hmm. Um, tremendously, she's still with us. Uh, mm-hmm. She just finished her 30th year with us. Uh, in the town of Benicia, and that for her makes 40 years, which is a phenomenal career, and she doesn't want to retire. I mean, she's working part-time, she has grandkids, she wants to spend time with, et cetera, but, you know, she's the face of ACE, and it's people like Margaret who are infectiously happy, you know, they love, they have such an inner joy, they enjoy the just being with other people and with helping them and that great gratitude feedback loop that you get. And that's really what we look for, you know, with our employees. We want them to be happy at work. It's really important, you know, that you're, mm-hmm. that this is the place for you. And, uh, and we've been very successful that way. We've been very blessed that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like you've had um, some great employee longevity with, with your business, which is great. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about the store specifically. What are some of your biggest selling product categories? Um, and do you have any niches that you're known for that your product that your customers know I'm going to Pajrati Ace for that? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. The, the, my roots in hardware because we, I came from such a small physical facility. I mean, 850 square foot is very, very tight that mm-hmm. you have to be very careful and cherry pick your lines and make sure that you have what the community needs. As we've grown over time, I've sort of stayed to that focal point and not drifted much. And so our lines mm-hmm. have traditionally been very tight and narrow to the repair business. You know, so paint's real big for us, lawn and garden, et cetera. However, and, and I think this is just coincidental. When COVID hit, I would scan our outs constantly to try and understand where the demand was and try and get ahead of it. And what I discovered mm-hmm. was there are certain categories that started to sell that I never, ever expected. And I'll give you one example. Um Right before COVID, we were in the process of remodeling and growing our barbecue section. Um, and my, sadly, it was literally in the middle of COVID that we had to wrap this up quickly. And so it was a lot of overtime. It was scary, but the staff just did an incredible job and we got open. Um, in that moment, one of my colleagues said, Gene, put this display in. And it was a display of jigsaw puzzles. Well, okay. we never really had a lot of room for toys and, and, and that, that sort of category. And my initial take was, no, I, I'm not going to do that. And she insisted. And she's <laughs> like, Gene, you have to do this. And I said, okay. So I ordered the rack. It's 48 pieces, a rotary rack. And it came in like four days before the COVID, first COVID hit 
uh, the Bay Area when people were mm-hmm. leaving school, leaving work early that Thursday, that Friday, and our, this rack went up. 48 pieces. On Monday, there were two pieces left. And I wow. thought, what's going on here? This is crazy. Well, we just kept ordering more and more puzzles all throughout COVID. At one point, we were bringing in two or three pallets of puzzles for Christmas, you know, because mm-hmm. they were selling. And that's a category never I would have, have, have thought. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's something you learn. And from that, uh, moving forward, I just you know, I made a point of trying to be a little bit more open-minded and look at uh, categories that are broader and deeper into the market. So we're looking for things that are locally made, like honey. Uh, we have a line of chocolate that we bring up from Monterey, California, uh, just because it's a superb small batch chocolatier. Um, mm-hmm. You know, th- things of that nature that you wouldn't normally expect to find in a hardware store. But you know what? We're going back to our roots. You know, this is, we're going back to mercantile. We're going back to the, you know, the settlement store out, out in, you know, in the open plains. And, Mm -hmm. and so you have to be a little bit open-minded and, and for us, it's kind of like a return to our roots. It's a, yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So what works best for you for advertising and marketing um, in your small town? Well, as small business, I think it's very, very difficult to uh, get in front of consumers. It's very mm-hmm. difficult. It's very expensive. It's very time mm-hmm. consuming. Um, I'm not a fan of creating stupid posts on social media, but I know that's where <laughs> things are at today. You just mm-hmm. have to be there. Um, one of the things I found, though, to be particularly of value is to think out of the box and not go with typical means of advertising. I mean, you have to do those things in home mailers, et cetera, but mm-hmm. is to look in other directions and other opportunities. And for me, it has been like this drone event is to think mm-hmm. out of the box, get involved in things, sometimes in leadership capacities where you're helping run events that really or activities that aren't directly related to your business, but because you're a leader in the community you know, you are seen as part of that and, th- and that you get some, you get some often great exposure, uh, doing events. And so I've always been involved that way. When I first came into Crockett, you know, it was the, the town was sort of on its downhill slide. And one of the mm-hmm. first things we did was we formed a chamber of commerce, uh, mm-hmm. and I was its first president and I'm ha- proud to say here, you know, 40 years later, it's still in existence. Um, uh, but through that, you know, there's a lot of involvement in doing things within the community, within that organization. And so it's not necessarily just your own business uh, mm-hmm. getting FaceTime and getting promoted. Uh, it can be, depending on the kind of event you do and what you're willing, mm-hmm. the time that you're p- willing to put into it. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, like I said, it has to sometimes be out of the box. That's that's the only way you're going to get grab the attention for, for your shoppers and your community. Yeah. Yeah. Um. What are some of the different events that you've your store has hosted in the past? I'm sure the pandemic has kind of put a kibosh on some of those, but what are some of the well, ones that you've done? I'll give you a good past? example. So the town of Crockett is on the waterfront, halfway between San Francisco and Sacramento, and there's a mm-hmm. river where actually the Sacramento River dumps into uh, the San Francisco Bay, and mm-hmm. and between our community and on on the other side of the river, there's a massive bluff. 
Um, and that was a, a huge obstacle in the early 1900s because you you'd have to cross on ferry boat. At one point, the Lincoln Highway was being constructed, and this was the first transcontinental highway across the United States, starting in Lincoln Park, New York, and ending up in Lincoln Park, San Francisco. And it was all completed except for this one small section, which is next to Crockett because it was over this body of water that uh, was impassable. Well, in 1927, uh, a, a new bridge was constructed there, uh, and that closed the gap. It was a huge moment in transportation for California. Mm-hmm. So fast forward in my career, in 1987, we decided to celebrate the 60th anniversary of this bridge called the Carquinas Bridge. And it turned out our celebration was exactly one month before the 50th anniversary of the Golden Gate Bridge. And the Golden okay. Gate Bridge was getting tons and tons of attention, and we're this small podunk town. But, you know, we were thinking outside the box. And one of the activities we were able to do was reach out to the state and ask if we could recreate opening day 1927, mm-hmm. which was May 7, uh, May actually – Today is May 17, uh, 1927. Yeah. So what is that? Okay. 85? Yeah. And 85 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the activities was they, they walked, the public was able to walk across the bridge opening day. Fast forward 60 years, the state said yes. And so we got to close the bridge in 1987 and uh, 10,000 mm-hmm. people walked across the bridge uh, to celebrate that anniversary. And I chaired that event. And it was a wildly successful event. And, you know, it, it just it gave the town a tremendous amount of attention. It was great. It was great for, for us as well. Yeah. Well, and it just tied back into that, you know, your love and passion for your community. It's, it's just so cool to see how your store is always continually intertwined with your community. It's pretty cool. I think also... To, to be fair, it's also that now that senses are getting older, that that relationship with history, too. You know, there mm-hmm. there's there's a history that predates us that we need to acknowledge and celebrate because it's so part. It's so it's such an important part of our communities and a lot of especially in California. I mean, it's nothing to go in and take a 30 year old shopping center and blade it down and start over again. where just there's nothing of any architectural age anywhere in California, you know, that, mm-hmm. that we need to celebrate our history. We need to preserve and, and uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah. important. Agreed. Agreed. So, you know, we can't get through talking to a retailer without talking about the pandemic and, you know, the effects the last two years have had on just businesses across the board. So what are some lessons that you've taken away from the last two years? Um, I think the most illuminating business discovery was to short, very closely study our shorts list. We had so many outages during the pandemic that, you know, it's very easy to walk away from that. If it's not on the shelf, it's not on the shelf. But we found ourselves in a unique position where we could basically 
grab incoming merchandise on a stock reserve basis, they call it, um, and bring it in into inventory. And I we've been doing that ever since. In other words, study the shorts, try and see what the trends are and get ahead of it that you don't run out of product. And remarkably, mm-hmm. we've always had a great in-stock position, we've just been very determined to, to stay up there. And our in-stock going into COVID was 99.1.2%, which is a mm-hmm. remarkable number. Uh, the mm-hmm. worst it got in COVID was 94% because yeah. we spent a lot of time, invested a lot of time in understanding what was out, what was going to be out and getting jumping ahead of that. And I think that mm-hmm. was the biggest discovery you know, for us in the pandemic was it's worth spending time on these things because you spot other problems. You know, if you mm-hmm. see an out by itself, an electrical box, for example, okay, whatever. But when you start seeing another and another, and then you dig into it and then realize, oh, that plant burned down in Louisiana and there's no plastic Mm -hmm. electrical boxes, you know, and there haven't been any for six months, right? Or spray paint. Uh, There was a point early in in COVID where I discovered that the ball jars were not being shipped for our seasonal order in spring. And so I started looking into it deeper and deeper. And at the literally at the start of COVID, I went in on a stock reserve system and ordered all the ball jars I could get. And we had pallets delivered all through summer because they were committed, you know, mm-hmm. where most other retailers didn't get any. Why? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. you could see this, anticipate it, stay ahead of it. So you just have to be willing to put the time in and, 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 and dig deep. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great takeaway. All right, so celebrating 100 years in June. Gene, what's next in the next year, five years, the next 100 years? What's next for, for Pedrati Ace? Well, that's a good question. The next 100 years, that's kind of scary. Uh, I don't have kids. Um, no. So it is what it is. The, the store will be changing hands, although I have a great uh, manager involved. He started with me at 16. He wants to take over, so he has the first option. He has two young boys. In fact, mm-hmm. one graduates, uh, I think, uh, this weekend. Um, okay. So at the point that I retire, I think the store is, will be in great hands. So I'm not mm-hmm. too too worried about that. Uh, for me, I don't I don't look forward to retirement at all. I love what I do. <laughs> and it, to be honest, it kind of scares me, uh, which is yeah. why I work like hell now, because I know that that uh, that joy and that ride is going to come to an end soon. So mm-hmm. I'll have to cross that bridge. But, you know, as you mentioned, the writing, the writing, I think, has been a good test uh, uh, to, to get to to. Uh, try that out and and get a voice. Maybe I'll do some writing. You know, it's something yeah. I enjoy. But uh, I, I truly love hardware. I, I'll miss it. Yeah, yeah. Well, Gene, it has been a pleasure talking to you today and learning more about your company and about your community. And you were just you're a joy. So thank you for sharing your story with us. I really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. It. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you so much.